So I am wrapping up this series on mind wars. It's only the third one, but I felt like, boy, I've given you so much meat that you can literally go back and just listen and re-listen and listen. So if you have missed the first two topics, I just encourage you to jump online and, and watch it or listen to it in any way. Put ear pods on and iPods, whatever they're called, and, and just really get that word in you. Amen. And they build up to work the finish today. And so I just think if we can really get the battle of our mind under control, we can really win every area of our walk in faith, amen, because it does begin in our mind, our stinking thinking as, as um, I forget who coined that, Joyce Myers, I think, is the one who said that, but so today I'm wrapping it up with the title called Defeat Your Negative Thoughts. So we're going to talk about our negative thoughts today, and we've talked a lot about different kind of thinking, but have you ever found in your life, like I think pretty much all of us here, we have a pretty decent life, you know, from pretty decent to probably living a pretty good life, but isn't it strange how our life can be good and yet we still find ourselves to things to complain about? We still find things that we're not happy about. We wish it was different or we wish it were or whatever it was. And so we really want to learn to train our mind to begin to rethink and see the good things of our life instead of seeing the negative things. Because the negative things are always the louder things in our life. It's the good things that are probably more quiet and in the background. And we really want to train our mind because how many know our mind is a battlefield? It is the devil's playground. And after all, it's where Jesus died on, the, on Golgotha. It's the place of the skull is what that hill means. It means he died on our, for our mind and for our thoughts. And that blood was shed on the cross so that we can have redemption in the battlefield of our mind. Amen. And it's so awesome that we can be empowered to walk in that. So most of our life's battles are, are going to be in our mind. And we're going to win or lose them if we don't learn to take control of those thoughts. Amen. The life you have now is often a reflection of the thoughts you have been thinking. So where you're at in your life, and maybe you hate it, and maybe it's good, but you want better, it's often because we haven't changed our thinking. We keep going back to the default things that we think about, keep going back to the negative things of our life, and it's keeping us kind of stagnant and in the same place. How many are ready to go to the next season of your life? The next miracle, the next breakthrough, you know, and that's going to begin with our thoughts, lining them up to what the word of God says about it. That's why it's so powerful what we put inside of our mind, amen, because what comes in our mind goes out in our life. Whether we like it or not, if we're allowing the negative thoughts and the negative talk and all the things of our past to be such a dominant thought, it will become active in our life. Even though we don't like it, it is just the way that it works. So you cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. Okay? Just let it sit there for a minute. I know it's simple, but you cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. We have to change our mind. So let's look at our key scripture verse that we've been studying, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. It says this, for though we live in this world, how many know it's a challenging world right now, we do not wage war as the world does. My mind battle is not the way the world is wringing their hands and terrified and looking at the economy and looking at everything that's going on. We are such an information generation, and I think it's too much information. I think it's done us damage to know maybe more more of what's going on in the world than we need to know. It's amazing. The world has revolved for how many hundreds of years? And, and let's just say in our lifetime, there's been bad stuff happening since you've been alive, just so you know. You just didn't know about it. 
Now because there's videos and there's information, we have access to everything we want to know. Literally, when the hurricane hit Arizona, or excuse me, Florida, my grandparents, my grandfather lives in Arcadia, Florida, tiny little town in Arcadia. And my mom was very concerned because he had lost his power and there was no cell phone or whatever. And so I got on Tic Tac and I put in the little uh, Tic Tac. Goodness gracious. It just got hot in here. I think that's why. <laughs> TikTok, and I put in the search bar Arcadia, Hurricane, uh, uh, Arcadia Florida, uh, Ian, or whatever it was. All these videos started popping up. People that actually lived in Arcadia videotaping the flood and that the, you know, that it was the electricity was out. And I was able to update my mom literally minute by minute. Okay, electricity is on. Okay, the, it stopped raining there. That's the technology that we live in today. And it's wonderful, but it's also damaging because we live in this war in our mind, terrified about what's going on in the world today. But in Christ, we don't wage like the war like the world does. Thank you, Jesus. God wrote the book from Genesis to revelation he knows the story in between and we can just rest in the fact that God is still in control and he still sits on the throne amen and he moves the hearts of the kings every which way he wishes so God is in control so we don't wage war as the world does the weapons we fight are not with the weapons of this world I don't fight against flesh and blood amen we fight against spiritual things on the contrary the weapons that we have are what divine power God has given you weapons that have divine, supernatural, dunamis, blow-up power to do what? Demolish strongholds. What are the strongholds? The things that control our mind. The strongholds are wrong patterns of thinking. We have default thinking that we don't even realize we're walking in, and those thoughts are holding us captive to a lie, and we need to reverse the curse, and I'm going to hold my thoughts captive to the word of God. We need to begin to change it. My thoughts cannot control me, amen? I'm going to control my thoughts because God gave me power and authority over everything the enemy wants to throw my way. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension or imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So every thought that comes into your heart and, you know, you ever just be walking and maybe at work or at home or whatever and you get this sick feeling like you used to get when you went to the principal's office? I went there a lot. So I'm kind of familiar with that sick feeling, a lot of trouble. But uh, you ever get that, like, why am I troubled? Why, why do I feel this way? Raise your hand if that's happened to you. And you can't even recall why. why. Why do I have this sick feeling? And you can trace back and go, oh, it was that thought. Or it was that phone call. Or it was that something I saw on Facebook. Or the enemy is always using things that's contrary to, to what God has to say. All he can do is set up false imaginations to get us off track with where God wants us to be. Amen? It's just a planted thought. What will you do with that thought? All right. We demolish arguments and every imagination that sets us out up against the knowledge of God. What do we do? We take every thought captive. I'm going to take you captive. You don't own me. I own you. Amen. You are under my feet. The word of God says that the devil is under my feet. Some of you just need to put some words on the floor that's controlling you and just start stomping on the devil. Just start getting your dance on and say, you know what? Depression, you're under my feet. Anger, you're under my feet. Fear, you're under my feet. Worry, I have authority over you because that's where you belong. Amen. I'm taking that thought that wants to destroy me and I'm putting it where it belongs, under my feet. Full authority in Christ Jesus. We have that ability. Amen. So when you take that thought captive, what happens? I'm making it obedient to Jesus Christ. 
That means every wrong thing and imagination has to line up to what God says about the situation. And that's why it's so important to know the word of God. Amen. So in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the neural pathways that's in our brain. And it's so amazing. But every time you think a thought, you are creating new patterns or pathways in your brain. Every time. So if you're, t- if you're thinking the word of God and you're thinking what God says, you're like creating a new pathway. It's like an animal that just takes one little route in the yard and, and it makes a pathway. That's what happens in your brain. But when you're thinking negative and you're thinking the past, you're creating a pathway that your brain is used to going down. And the more that you think it, the easier it becomes to think it more. That's the, that's the neural pathways. It's patterns that we have created. We call it default thinking. So what happens is every time trouble comes against us, every time God wants to bless you, every time he wants to give you favor, you've got this default way of thinking, go, nope, I'm going to sabotage it. Because they're going to do that to me again. I'm going to be disappointed again. They're going to reject me. I'm going to have failure. We have this default way of thinking, and God wants us to line it up to what the word of God says. Create new pathways in your brain. So every time you think about the goodness of God, your brain is literally creating a new path. When you're worshiping God, this is the word of God. This is the, when you're singing the songs, you're creating a truth in your brain that says, yes, God is the way maker. Yes, God is my healer. And that's why in this moment, it's an atmosphere of miracles because your brain is saying, yes, this is the truth. You remember we talked about your subconscious. Your subconscious doesn't know reality from, from non-reality, from a lie. So when you're speaking the truth and singing, God, you are my healer, your subconscious goes, that's a truth. Your revelation goes off in your spirit, which is your faith, and that faith creates results. That's what we've learned. So as you're creating a new pathway, that you are valuable. You are important. You are called by God. You have gifts and callings on the inside of you. When you're speaking that truth, your brain, your subconscious will begin to believe that truth. And you can undo the wrong patterns in your life and turn your life around. Amen? We don't want your life to do a 180 because you'll be right back where you're at. What is it when you only go halfway? 90 degrees? Oh, 180 is a turnabout. Okay, thank you. See, this is why I keep smart people around me. We need a 180, amen? Let's turn around from that ugly past and let's press on to what Jesus has. So the more often you think a thought, the easier it is to think again. So why not start thinking God thoughts? Why not start thinking the positive things that God has to say? So we're going to go into something new today. It's called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. Cognitive means your brain functioning. And it is this. It's a mistaken reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. So what happens? Your, your brain has a mental filter. And it immediately defaults or goes back to what a past experience gave you. So if you were in a relationship, and let's say that relationship was damaging and, and it was controlling and it, it wasn't a healthy relationship, unless you've allowed your your mind to begin to think that God can give you God's best, God can can give you a better future, you can have a good marriage, you will constantly default to past experiences. And all of your reasoning will go back to that mistake or that situation in your life. Amen. And we have to begin to change the filters. So what happens? People want to be a part of a local church and they come and they fall in love with the people and they fall in love with the church and then something happens and they get hurt by the church. 
that becomes a filter in their life. Oh, yeah, if I, I'm afraid to get involved with the church. I'm afraid to serve. I'm afraid to love God's people and really know them well because I'm probably going to get hurt again. That's making decisions based on prior experiences. And God doesn't want us to have a filter of past experiences because his best is ahead of you. His best is in front of you. But if we keep allowing these filters, we'll stay stagnant and right where we're at in our life instead of walking in all that God has for us. That's why you see some believers maybe walking in the overflow. They may be walking in a, a good marriage that they've worked hard on. Not because God says I'm not a respecter of persons. So he doesn't give one favorite over here, although I do think I'm God's favorite. But we're not going to go there today. But God doesn't have favorites, even though I like to think that he does. But he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't do it for one person, that he doesn't do it for another. It's just another believer who said, I'm going to change the way God thinks about me, not to what my experience used to say about me. Amen? We have to change the filters, right? So if I was hurt by the church, or if I was rejected, or if there was failure in my life, then I may be using everything in my life as a filter. So let me give you a good example. Let's just say anger. Got cute little coffee filters. I had to dig around for these because I don't use coffee filters anymore. But what happens? You know, you want to have, and, you're, and maybe in your marriage, you don't want to be angry. You don't want to retaliate. Or maybe you're angry with God or you're angry in a situation. And your first response is to be angry, you know, because that's just something you've been dealing with. It's a, what do they call it, cognitive bias. So anything that comes your way, if, if maybe that helpmate or that boss is, maybe it's a good situation, what happens is you filter it through anger because that's all that you're used to knowing. You're used to disappointment. You're used to somebody not giving you the best. And so your default is I'm going to filter everything through anger. And what happens, God has, outside of this filter, blessings to overflow. He wants to heal you of anger. He wants to give forgiveness in your heart. But if we're always defaulting and filtering everything through whatever we're going through, then we never can have the best that God has for us. I'll always default to anger, or maybe it's fear. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of failure. Maybe God has a witty invention for you, a creative idea to step out by faith. Maybe you want to love deeply, but you, with, you withhold love because you're afraid of rejection. You've got to remove the default of, of a filter of fear so that perfect love can come into your heart. Does that make sense? Maybe there's rejection. We all have filters. Let me just tell you this. We all have filters, but we have to recognize what is it? What's the default filter in your life? You go, see, they rejected me. See, they rejected me. It's because we're expecting our cognitive behavior from the past expects me to have rejection. It's not the forefront of your mind. It's in the subconscious that you have to change and renew your mind too. That's why you may find yourself spinning your wheels and having the same outcome you've always had. It's because some there you're allowing this behavior of the way you used to experience, the way that you used to, people used to say about you or whatever the situation is. So what do we have to do? I have to change the filter. So when you change the filter, it changes how you feel. When you change the filter... It changes how you feel, and how you feel is how you react. Everybody, I'm pretty sure on social media, unless you're young, you probably haven't done this, but how many has ever posted a picture on, on Instagram or social media that you changed the filter on? I'm not the only one. You know, you're quiet out there, right? What happens when you change that filter just a little bit? You're like, 
I feel a certain way. I feel good, right? When you change the filter and you begin to work on that thing that's keeping you trapped to the past, all of a sudden you start feeling good about yourself. All of a sudden you're like, you know what? I am a man of God. I am a smart man. I don't care what my father said about me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this addiction and stronghold doesn't have power over me. I have power over all, over all powers of the enemy. And when you begin to recognize all the word of God, you're like, I feel good. All of a sudden you rise and you can worship and you can be joyful and you can be happy and you can start working on your marriage. Why? Because I took the filters of my past behavior, the way things worked, and I'm saying, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to open up fully to you, renew my mind. I'm going to have God thoughts. I'm going to have the word of God flowing through me. And all of a sudden the thing that you desire will find its way to you. Because you've allowed your heart to be open to change that behavior, that mental pattern that we've created. Amen. Why, when you have a cognitive bias, it's your default fi um, filter, which we talked about. That's why two people can be in the same exact situation and respond completely different. Respond completely different. So listen to this. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter. It's the filter because everybody is facing the same scenario. Every one of us has the news and media. Every one of it, the facts are the same, but the filters are different. That's why when I can change the filter, the facts don't bother me anymore. You know, so you can have, let's say an employer comes to um, give some you know, let's say creative correction to you that, you know, and they come very nice and, and they approach you and say that wasn't, you know, we shouldn't do it that way and this is the way that you should do it and give the same instruction to another employee, same exact story, same exact scenario. And one of the employees would be like, who do they think they are? That's so rude. I work so hard. I work my butt off for this company and da, 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 da. And then the other employee who heard the same exact facts... The same exact instruction would go, well, thank you so much for that. I probably can do better. I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm going to learn from it. you got the same facts and two different behaviors. Why? Because there's a filter. Somewhere there was a filter with that one employee that never felt appreciated. Maybe there was someone who was abusive to them with their words. And there's a filter that needs to be changed. I work for some crazy bosses in my life. And I've been able to just serve with joy. I've been able to do my job with joy, get promoted with favor, because none of that matters to me, because I have a filter of Christ in me. And when I was young, I've shared this a few times, but I, my first revelation in Scripture was Galatians that said, work heartily as unto God and not as unto man. And I think I was 17 when I, that verse just, I'm like, oh, when I show up on the job, I'm not working for them. I'm working for God. So I worked with integrity. I worked with char character. When the boss wasn't there, I didn't slack. I worked hard. Why? Because God was watching me. So my, my filter said, it don't matter if my boss don't like me or jealous of me. I'm going to get favored because God is on my side. Do you know God can take the boss that doesn't like you, and like I said, he moves the hearts of the kings every which way he wishes. He can change your boss's heart for you, give you a promotion and give you a pay raise, and then a week later regret it because God moved their heart. 
but you already got the promotion. See, that's a filter I have on. You have to have those kind of filters. I don't battle with the way the world batters. I have favor. I have blessings. I have increase. I have a great marriage. My children are serving God. Why? Because God's word says it. I changed my filter, amen? So we have to change our filter. What are some other ways? Two people come into to the church and they love, you know, they get the same worship, the same people, the same word of God, and one person's like, this is the best church I have ever been. I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to worship God. The people were so loving. And then you got the same, one person with the same exact experience goes, who does that pastor think she is? That was so offensive. How dare her say that? And the people were so rude and, and whatever. What happened? The facts were the same. It was the same worship song. It was the same pastor preaching the word of God. Different filters. Different filters. Why? Because when we come into church, listen, there's sheep in the barn and sheep stink. We are a hospital and there are sick people in it. There are no perfect people in the body of Christ. So when you have a filter on, the, the Bible says I can love unconditionally. If somebody did do me wrong, I got a different filter on. Amen. I'm, I can just, I can say, hey, maybe they're having a bad day or, man, they need to get their mind renewed or whatever. Why? Because my filter says I'm going to believe the best of people. My filter says I'm here for God and I'm not here for man, right? So it's just the same thing. Same scenarios, the facts are the same, but the filters need to change. Example in the word of God was in Numbers 13 and 14 when Moses sent in 12 spies to explore the land. How many remember this story? Twelve of them went in, and the ten of them, when they went in, they said, oh, my, when they came back out, they said, it's dangerous. They, uh, the land devours the people. There are giants in the land. Everything was big and overwhelming and destructive. And they said, we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. And that was their true perspective when they went in, right? They, they saw how big the problem was. There's no way that we can defeat the giants. There's no way my life can change. There's not a better way in life. I just have to settle for the way things are right now. Can you see how we would go into a promised land that God wants to give us his best, but we have this default filter that says there's no way anything can change in my life. And then you've got Jacob and Caleb who went into the same promised land, saw the same giants, saw the same opportunity to be in fear, and they came out and said, it's a good report. And not only did they come out saying, we can take this land, we can overcome it, but they walked out with was one branch clusters of grapes. One branch of grapes. Two men it took to carry out that fruit. They came in and they said, There's no, the giants are not too big, the fruit is bigger. The fruit is bigger. It's worth going in and taking down the giants because the promises are so big in this land like we've never experienced before. You can go in your life and say, well, this is too big. It's too hard or too difficult. Or say, there is fruit that I'm going to get from this land, and it is greater, what does the Bible say, than I could think, dream, or even imagine. God has the best marriage for you. God has your children serving God. God has blessings and favor for your life. It's how you look at what you're seeing. You can look at everything you don't like about your situation. And probably a lot of it is true. You don't like it. But you can change it and say, I'm going to look to the good that's in this land and that God has for me. Amen? How are you seeing it? So something that we have to learn to do as believers, it's, it's called reframing. In, in terminology in the world, in psychology, it's called I need to reframe how I see things. So reframing means this. 
It's creating a different way of looking at the situation or relationship by changing its meaning. I have to change the way that I'm viewing it, right? Change the way that I view the relationship. Change the way that I view um, my boss and my job. You have the ability to reframe it. The Bible says that you can reframe your world by the power of your words. You frame, the Bible says you actually build your house, you frame your world by what you speak. So we have the ability to reframe how we see things according to the word of God. In, in worldly techn- or terminology, it's called cognitive behavior therapy. What does that mean? I'm going to identify the automatic thoughts, the default thoughts, and replace them with the positive thoughts of God's word. So you're going to realize, okay, this is, I, yeah, I My husband did that to me again. That's a negative thought. He's going to do it again, I'm afraid. But when I'm going to train my brain to say, no, God's going to come in the middle of this situation. I'm going to reframe what the situation is and see it the way that God wants me to see it. So let me give you an example. If you could put that picture up, Titus. And I didn't think of this analogy till this morning, so I'm kind of bummed. I wish I had a frame. But if you can see in the picture, there's the ability. If you all just kind of take your hands and do a little box and just frame in the dark part of that circle, right? You just frame in the dark part of that circle. It is so easy to look at life by seeing that frame. Yes, my marriage is not doing good. Yes, my job is going hard. Things are never going to change. I've got so much stress. I've got so much pressure. And you can frame your world by the dark part of what you see. Or we can take and go ahead and do it again and go towards the sunshine and just frame in that sunshine. It's the same picture, but how are you framing it? You can easily look at all the dark clouds in your life. You can look at all the things that are negative and are probably real. But in God, according to his word, there is hope for you. There is joy for you. How are you going to reframe your world? In other words, I'm not going to keep looking at the dark things in my life. The Bible says to reframe it, and I'm going to begin to see the good things of God. I'm going to see that God is a healer. God is a restorer. God is the great I am. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He is the doctor of my soul, amen. What happens? I'm reframing my world to see all the good things instead of seeing all the negative things. It's easy to look at our life and go, well, I wish I had that, and I wish that was different. I wish this was pressure was off. But God doesn't want us to look at things that way anymore. He wants you to look through the lens of the word of God. But you have to work on reframing how you are looking things, amen. Many people, unfortunately, we put God in this same framework. We get frustrated with the word. We get frustrated with God's timing and God's ways. And so we have a tendency to frame God and see him through all the impossibilities instead of framing God according to the word of God. God wants you to begin to see his word working in your life. He wants you to see the good things in life. Could things be different? Yes. But boy, things are good right now. Amen. Could it change? Yes, but boy, I'm so glad my children are fed and taken care of. I'm so glad I have a roof over my house. I'm so glad I got that job that's crazy. I don't like it. It doesn't pay a lot, but I'm going to see the goodness of God inside that situation. It'll begin to change the way that you think about it. Now what was a burden now becomes a joy. And you know that everything in life is temporal. It's temporary. God can change things on a dime. But I think a lot of times he's looking for our our thankfulness, looking for our ability to trust him at his word. Amen? And when you can begin to think the good things of God, God will begin to bless you in your life. So we don't want to frame God. What do we know about life? You can't control what happens to you. You can't. Things happen to us. 
There's some things that aren't even poor choices, but they've happened to us. But listen, you can control how you frame it. You can control how you see it. All through 2020 was so horrific for so many, for all of us. And during that time, I didn't realize it, but I kept reframing my world. I, said, I kept looking at the darkness, looking at the people that were law, you know, not coming back to church, looking at all that the world was going on, but I kept looking to God takes care of his house. God watches over his people. God is back in control. I'm not, I'm not trying to be false. I know I'm looking to reality to what the word of God says. Frame your world to the way that you want it to look. And even during COVID, I bet you every one of us can look back and we lost a lot. And there was a lot of emotional, I think, mental baggage that people came out with. But every one of us could look back and probably write two or three things that was actually good about it. Literally. Even though it, it was such a devastating blow. But you can look back and say, man, I actually got more time with my family. I actually slowed down and realized that my life was out of control. A lot of pastors did that. They were itinerant and they were all over. And because they came back home and we were locked in our houses, they realized, wow, I was gone too much. See, God brings order. So you can look back at some things. Maybe you picked up a book. Maybe whatever it was, you can find something good. You reframed your world in the middle of chaos. Amen? So maybe you're in a situation where you're expecting something different in your life. Have you ever woke up and just go, man, this wasn't the life I thought I was going to have? This, I'm not where I wanted to be. If you're, old, if you're past 15, you probably have experienced it. I will give it to 20 at least. We all wake up, man, this is not where I thought I was going to be. It's not where I wanted to be. Matter of fact, sometimes it can be exactly the opposite. And Apostle Paul, he felt the same way in the Bible. He, his heart, and if you read it in Scripture, he desperately wanted to be a missionary to Rome. I don't know why, but he felt such a call and a love. He wanted to go preach in Rome. It's his greatest heart's desire. And he, in this part of the story, he found himself in prison. He wanted to be in Rome, and he was held from going there, and he was held in prison. His greatest desire, he found himself in a place he exactly did not want to be. He was in restraints. He was in captivity. Has anybody been there? Like, I just want to be over here, God, and yet I find myself with these great restraints held in captivity. We've all been there. And that's where he found himself. And so I have a scripture verse, Philippians 1, 12 through 13, and it's a new translation that I made up, and it's called the New Winers Version. It's, this is what Paul wrote to the church. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me really stinks. And as a result of all the hell I've been going through, I'm quitting and I'm never going back to church. He had every validation to feel that way. He had every reason to feel so disappointed. And so, God, why are you doing this to me? I just want this. I just want to do good for your kingdom, and yet I'm still in jail. But well, let's look at the, how he reframed his world, at least, according to the real scripture in Philippians 1, 12 through 3. He wrote to the church, he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I don't like where I'm at, but man, I'm talking about Jesus all day long. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about the power of our risen Savior. And every eight hours, a new Roman soldier was in charge of taking care of him. He's like, I've at least got the audience of one. That Roman soldier got to hear about Jesus for eight hours. He didn't use the place that he felt entrapped and in bondage and wanting to be somewhere else to hold him back for what God had in his life. 
He said, I'm using this. It has advanced the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Can you see the change that happened? He could have been negative, but he decided to say, nope. I'm going to take this bad situation, and I'm going to frame it for good. I'm not going to look at the dark clouds, but I'm going to see the goodness of God in the situation that I am in. Amen? Look at Philippians 1.14. It goes on to say, And because of my chains, my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because he proclaimed God and he saw the goodness of God in a situation that wasn't good, the whole region began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his brothers and his sisters and those got hope and those in prison were, were touched by the power of God. Look how powerful it is to reframe your story. Reframe your relationships. Reframe your viewpoint of church and whatever it is that you keep seeing the negative things in life and begin to see the good things in life. And let me give you three ways for you to do that easily in your life. Life has complications. Every one of us in this room have faced complications. I may come up here and put a smile on and preach in faith, and it's, it is kind of my default my default behavior is to be happy. I've had to train myself to do that. It is my first instinct, but there's complications in my life. Every one of us have troubles that we go through and things that break our heart. So number one way to reframe, I'm going to give you three tools. Number one, thank God for what didn't happen. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot more damaging. It was something that hurt you, but it could have been a lot worse. And you have to begin to thank God for what he did spare you from. Our sweet sister over here had a, a very terrifying accident. It scared her. And I was praying with her today, and I said, thank God you're alive. Boy, the devil tried to take you out, but God didn't win. Amen. Reframing that situation. Yeah, the accident is horrible and probably recovering and all of that. But listen, but you're still here breathing, and God has a plan and assignment for you. There's a story of a girl I heard. She told her parents, she said, Mom and Dad, I have to tell you this. I met this guy in a bar. And I got pregnant, had a one-night stand, got pregnant. This guy's been in probation for over a year. He's going to go into rehab, and then he's going to start looking for a job. He told me that he wants to consider marrying me, but we really can't afford it, so we're going to move in together as a teenager. And the parents are like, oh, what? You know, what the heck? And she goes, well, actually what happened, I got a D in chemistry. You know, she's kind of painting the worst picture scenario. That D doesn't look so bad now, does it? Right? So, hey, it could be a lot worse, amen? Could be a lot worse. Thank you, Jesus, that's all that it was. Maybe you missed your goals at work and you didn't get that bonus. It's okay, you didn't lose your job, amen? Car wreck, we talked about that. At least you're still living. Maybe you've had broken relationships, people that you loved, and there was the broken relationship, and you need to thank God because you don't know what God saved you from. You don't know what the disaster of the end of that story could have been. Maybe you didn't get the job and you really wanted the job. It's okay. God has one better for you. You have to look at God's favor. If God shuts a door, he has a wide door he's going to open for you. I'm reframing, amen, the way things are. So number one, thank God for what didn't happen. Rejoice. Number two, practice pre-framing pre your life. 
What does that mean? I'm in advance before relationship comes, before I get to the job, all those things. I'm going to start pre-framing the way that I think about the situation before I get involved in it. Amen. I remember um, you can, if you've got to get up and go to a meeting that you're not looking forward to and have a confrontation and you think, man, I hate this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have this meeting. No, I'm going to pre-frame it before I get there. This is going to be a great meeting and it's going to turn out well and we're both going to be able to communicate. We're both going to be able to understand. I'm reframing this situation. I remember when I would go to these pastor's events and um, I was in my 20s and we'd go to these big bougie conferences and everybody would be wearing their designer clothes and their little designer purses and, and I just kind of hate that whole atmosphere. Like I really hate that pretentious stuff. I like those night things, don't get me wrong, but I hate the pretension. And I would go to these places and they would constantly reject me. I kind of always felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I didn't have enough money. I felt like, I never felt like I fit in. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, you know what, that's actually not me. I love myself when I'm not around you, so you're the problem. <laughs> like, really, all y'all have a problem because I love me before I see you, so I had to reframe my world. No, I am good. So I began to talk to myself. You know what? I am loved, and I am celebrated. People want to be around me, and, and they want to know me, and they want to put me in the good seat, and, and they want to favor me. And when I would pre-frame that, every time I'd go, oh, hi, Barb, how are you? You know, I pre-framed it before I got there. I said, I'm going to have favor, and they are going to love me, and they aren't going to reject me. And I do that in every scenario that I feel like I don't know how it's going to turn out. I've changed my cognitive behavior. And when I walk in with that, they feel it. And they go, oh, hey, let's celebrate you. I'm like, yeah, now you celebrate me. <laughs> so I had to talk to Jesus about you all. Right? Whatever it is. Maybe you got to go to a family reunion. Oh, my gosh, i got to be around the family. Reframe it, amen. Preframe it. So number one, thank God for what didn't happen. Number two, start practicing preframing your world. Amen. Start seeing what God, saying what God says. And number three, look for God's goodness in it. Look for the goodness of God. You will find what you're looking for. May I say that again? You will find what you're looking for. If you want, if you want to see something bad, you're going to see something bad. If you want to see the negative of it, your negative filter, you'll see that negative filter. Amen. If you want to see it's hard and difficult, that's what you'll see. But if you want to see the goodness of God, if you want to see the good in people, if you want to see the positive, if you want to see the opportunities, you begin to see the goodness of God. How many know it's so easy to find wrong things? It's easy. It's so easy to find reasons not to like certain people. I won't look at any. Just kidding. It's easy, isn't it? But see faith. When you see faith, you see the very best of people. You believe the best. Let me tell you this analogy. Vultures. What do vultures look for? dead things. All they want is dead things. It's easy to look for the things you don't like, but what does a hummingbird look for? Sweet things. The hummingbird is looking for the good things, the sweetness of life. We have to begin to see the goodness of God. See the sweet things of life. You'll always find what you're looking for. Amen? It's easy to see what's wrong with the world, what's bad, what's negative, what you don't like, but we need to begin to see where is God? God still sits on the throne. 
He is still God. God performs miracles. I'm looking for the sweet things of God in my life. Amen. We need to find the good things of God. My cognitive reframing is going to be God is all powerful. God is almighty. God's going to give me the strength. God's going to give me the wisdom. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. God is by my side. God's going to give me what his word says. It is yes and it is amen in my life. Let me close with this. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Let's reframe some things in our life. Amen. Let me pray over you today. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for this series that, Lord, I believe you are really undoing some wrong things and you're going to put some right things on the inside of us. I thank you, God, that because of this, we're going to have better relationships. We're going to have better marriages, God. We're going to have a a better viewpoint of the local church and and the community as we come together, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to release miracles, miracles, miracles as they begin to shift their thinking. I just stand with them in agreement, God, that they will see the goodness of their life instead of the dark clouds. I thank you, God, that you give them that power and that ability. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior, making sure that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Without him, you cannot change the way that you think. You cannot change your behavior. So I want everyone to just repeat this prayer with me today. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm asking you, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. And Father God, teach me to reframe my world and how I see things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you all so much. I know God has great things in store for you. Amen. Don't forget, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we are here. And I'm going to welcome Pastor Paul. All right. You all enjoy the word.